everybody has trials and temptations. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Everybody knows heartbreak, isolation. see all of you this morning and to sing praises to God together. Hope you enjoyed that that song. That was a blessing to my heart and it's a blessing to see each of you today as we gather together in the name of the Lord. So welcome to Cross Timber. If you uh, notice things are a little different this morning and I'll talk a little bit about that in a second, but just want to welcome you if you're here in person or if you're joining us online, whether you're here for the 100th time, or I can't even count how many times, or you're here for the very first time. It's our pleasure that you would take time this morning to worship with us as we sing praises to God and as we honor Him um, through studying His Word. Just wanted to let you know, you may have received a a bulletin and you came in, a little pink piece of paper. There's several things that you may want to take note of about the upcoming schedule, things going on during the week, but there's also a tan card in there called a connect card. It's a great way for you to communicate with us. If there's something we can join with you in prayer, just ask you write that on there and there's a box 
um, out in the, the lobby when you leave or for the offering. Just drop it in there. Or if you have a question, if you want to leave information with us or if you want to change some information, you're welcome to do that. If you have a question, you can ask the question on there and we'll get back to you um, with that as well. I was reading this morning in, in Psalm chapter 43. I'm just slowly reading my way through the Psalms. And uh, in Psalm chapter 43, these two verses struck me. It's verses 3 and 4. And I thought it would be a, a worthy um, verse for our time this morning. Um, the psalm writer says, Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Then I will come to the altar of God, to God my greatest joy. I will praise you with a liar, God my God. It's my prayer this morning that as God sends his light and his truth by the power of his spirit, that he'll lead us to his very altar and we'll find what will fulfill the longing of our hearts, that we'll find that, that Jesus is our greatest joy. Let me just and give you a couple of things that you may need to know. First of all, um, we have this morning as our special guest, the um, Ancient Hebrew Scrolls Project. Um, they work in partnership with the Christian Heritage Foundation, and their director, Charles Garrett, is here along with his team. They're easily recognizable. Um, they are over on this side of the sanctuary, and they all have um, the same shirts on. And so they will be presenting this morning what you see in front, which is their collection of ancient Hebrew scrolls, which is a collection of the Old Testament scrolls or the Tanakh. And so we are very um, privileged to have them here with us, and I guarantee you that you will be blessed and you'll learn something that you probably didn't know or you'll remember something that you had forgotten. So we look forward to that in a few moments. Let me just give you um, a couple of other things. For if, you, um, if you are a youth or a parent of youth, there will be a, a meeting right after the service about the upcoming youth retreat. Um, they're going to meet in Miss Brenda's Sunday School Room, and we just ask that we can have at least one representative from families present. You're all welcome, but if we can have one from each family present, um, Jeff will be having a brief meeting about information you need to know about the youth retreat. Additionally, there will be no prayer meeting um, this Wednesday evening. Um, Deborah and I will be out of town, but we'll resume as normal when we return. And the last thing is we were able to send three gigantic boxes full of clothes for the teenage children at Casa Cielo a couple of weeks ago. And the cost of the shipping um, wound up being a little bit more than we had anticipated. So we still have a need of $260 to, to cover the, the boxes that are there to bless the children at Casa Cielo. So if you have a little extra would like to give toward that, you can um, just designate you know, Honduras shipping and put that in the offering plate, or you can drop something by the office. And you can consult your bulletin for any other um, announcements. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Psalm 119. I think that's uh, fitting since we are going to, to look at God's word and how God has preserved it through the centuries. And starting in the verse 65 and reading through verse 72, if you'll listen to the words of the psalmist as we read together before we pray. Do good to your servant according to your word, O Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant have smeared me with lies, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are callous and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. 
The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. Will you join me as we pray? Lord, we are thankful that we can gather together in your name. And as your word says, we just ask that you would send down your light and your truth to lead us this morning. That you would bring us to the very throne. That you would bring us into your presence, to your dwelling place. And that we would find our joy and our delight in our Savior, Jesus. I pray you would help us as we sing, to sing of hearts that are filled with joy. I pray that you would help us to remove from our minds distractions and thoughts of what will happen in the day. And Lord, just draw our thoughts closer to you. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. And we thank you that you do good. And we thank you that in the midst of trials and afflictions, Lord, that you teach us. Lord, we thank you for the preciousness of your word that is more precious than silver or gold. And we thank you most of all for the living word, our Lord Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who is exalted above all other and has the name that is above all names. And Lord, help us today to worship you in spirit and in truth. Draw our hearts toward you. Show us where we come up lacking. Show us where we have great need and help us to find that we can meet all those needs only in you. And, Lord, those that seek you like no good thing. Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We trust you to do good because you are good. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and sing with us this morning?
So he said, as we said earlier, it's our, our privilege today to have the Ancient Hebrew Scrolls Project here today. Charles Garrett and I think Stacy are going to be presenting this morning. So um, we're just thankful that they are able to be here. We're thankful for the, the work that the Heritage Foundation has done in the past. Um, we're thankful for the, the vision um, that Mr. Mize had many years ago. And we see that throughout the years that it has been a blessing to not only the churches, but also Johnson County as a, as a whole. And so, Charles, we're, we're glad you're here with us this morning. And so why don't you come and, and share with us this morning? Good morning. Got to get the volume set here when we step out in front of these speakers. Um, we're graced with a very special guest today. Dr. Scott Whitson is in the audience. Oh, goodness. Well, we are glad to be here. I'm Charles. That's Stacy down there. We're going to team teach this thing today. Uh, be the first time we've ever done this. So if he makes a mistake, just forgive him and we will just keep going, okay? Let me tell you what you're looking at. How, well, let me, let me start here. How many of you were here the last time we were here doing scrolls? Five? Well, either that means you've really grown a great church or you've kicked a whole bunch out. And I noticed Scott's not a member here anymore, so he was one you kicked out. We're glad to be here. For those of you that have not ever seen this presentation, so I want to tell you very elementary what you're looking at today. Uh, this is, now I'm going to ask you to listen to every disclaimer that we have because they're all important. What you're looking is is an authentic, real set of scrolls. In fact, these are the only complete set of the entire Old Testament in ancient Hebrew scroll form anywhere in the world that you can see. Now, it takes a minute to uh, absorb that and to swallow all of that information because it's not like this is the only scroll or that one's the only scroll, but this is the only complete set of ancient Hebrew scrolls anywhere in the world that you can see. Not even in Israel can you see a full set of ancient Hebrew scrolls. They just don't exist. And so we're excited to have this opportunity not only to be here, but to have the scrolls that we can show you and anyone else that is around. Um, in 1982, Walter and Mary Ann Mize established the Christian Heritage Foundation in downtown Metropolis, Cleburne, Texas. They did it for the purpose of helping churches in Johnson County to be better at what they should be doing. And then in uh, 2004, uh, the best thing that could have happened to them did. They hired me. 
Maybe I'm the only one that sees that, but okay, it doesn't matter. And over the next three years, Walter and I would talk almost daily. Well, actually, the more correct thing is, is that Walter would talk almost daily, and I would sit and listen. And boy, could he talk. And we would talk and dream and think about what God would want us to do with the foundation. And then about 2007 or 6, maybe, 2006, Walter says to me one day, "Um, what can we do to honor Israel? And being a very good student of theology, I said, I don't know. And he says, well, figure it out, because the Bible says if I will honor Israel, God will honor me. And so I want to do that. I just don't know how. And I says, hmm, send money to Israel maybe? I don't know. And he said, no, we're not going to do that. And so I began to think. And just a couple of days later, him and I both get an invitation to a church on the other side of the county, back toward Glenrose, in a huge town called Bono. Now, see, some of you giggle because you all know where Bono is. It's a two-syllable word for a one-syllable town. The only thing that's there is a church, and that's First Baptist Church of Bono. It's the only thing there, nothing else around. And they've had some great times in their history as a church, and they've had some really low times in their history of churches. I think every church in the world suffers Uh, that phenomenon and so anyway they invited us to come out because they had a man they knew a man who had some ancient hebrew scrolls see already i'm telling you this is not the only scroll that's ever been found and so we went out and there was a gentleman there by the name of gary and he presented 10 scrolls exactly like these Now, it takes 16 scrolls to make up all the Old Testament. How many books are there in the Old Testament? Huh? 20, 30, 40, 50, all of them. 39, okay. All 39 books of the Old Testament are represented in 16 scrolls that you're looking at here behind me. Now, there's actually more than 16 behind me because of the way we have them spooled. If we look right down here on the end, uh, there's what we call the Megillah, which means the five books. And there's five books of the Bible represented on three scrolls down here. And so if you count all of this up, I've got more than than just the 16. Here in the middle is what we know as the Torah scroll. Everybody knows about the Torah? The Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They're right here in five scrolls right in front of you. So if I added 5 to 16, I'd get 21. So now we're kind of working our way up the ladder to all 39 books of the Old Testament. But down at the very end down there is the very oldest scroll that we have, It's a Torah scroll. It's over 600 years old. 600. So it's older than most of you in here. I'm not going to pick them out. 
But it's very exciting to be able to have all of these and to take them around. When a scribe gets through writing a scroll, mainly a Torah scroll, let me tell you what the first thing he does is. He counts the letters. After he writes a scroll, any of these, but especially a Torah scroll, he goes back and he counts the letters. He knows exactly how many letters are supposed to be in this thing. You know, if you take two King James Bibles, and I'm not picking on him. I could pick on New International Version, New American Standard, New English. I could pick out any of them. But if you put any two of them side by side, you're not going to find an exact duplicate of one another. But with these, you will. One of the greatest finds of mine in your history and the history before us and the history I think yet to come has been what we know as the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. You know, the little boy, a sheep herder, went into a cave because he thought one of his lost goats was in there. And what he discovered was something much like this here, only it had all been disintegrated. It had been there so long it had just almost turned to ashes and dust. Save one scroll. One scroll that was almost completely intact and rolled up. And when they unrolled it, they discovered that it was the book of Isaiah. It was carbon dated to be 2,700 years old. Yet, if you take that 2,700-year-old Isaiah, you lay it next to my 300-year-old Isaiah, and you know what you're going to find? You're going to find an exact duplicate, one to the other. And this just doesn't have the same letters in it. All the letters are in the same place. They are that strict when they write a scroll. They're identical. They will not allow themselves or even each other to make even one mistake. When they make a mistake, most of the time they have to start over. Now, they don't necessarily start over on the entire scroll because it's written in pages. And when they're completely done and they're sure it's correct, then they sew them together. But they don't sew them together until they're sure because if they do, it becomes one. And if there's a mistake, they have to start all over. A very few of you, I think probably in here, uh, remember the days that we were in high school and the brand new IBM Selectric came out to the scene. Before that was just regular standard typewriters, nothing electric. But then the IBM Selectric came out, had a little ball on it, and that's what turned around and made all the letters on the page. And when you wrote a research paper, your teacher would tell you that uh, footnotes had to be an inch and a half from the bottom of the page. Thing is, is nobody knew what an inch and a half from the bottom was because it was all wound up in the typewriter. And when you went even one line too far... You had to start all over. That's the way these are. When they make a mistake, they have to start over. And it becomes a very tedious process. Stacy, you want to tell them something about some of the scrolls? Sure. Um, as you can read in your pamphlet, this whole, the, the, the Old Testament is divided up. The Jewish people divided up into three uh, parts. Like if you look in our translation, our English translation, I think there's like 
uh, five or six different parts. We have the history, we have the the uh, um, the poetry, we have the the major prophets, the minor prophets. I mean, we divide it all up. But with the uh, the Jewish uh, scripture here, they divide it up into three, and they call it the Tanakh. And so. Where they get that from is the T stands for the Torah, which are the first five books of the uh, the scripture that Charles just mentioned, and then you have the um, the the N for Nevi'im, which are the uh, prophets, and then you have the Ketavim, which is the writings. And so when you put the T and the N and the K together, you get that pronunciation Tanakh. Okay, and, and, of course, the vowel pronunciation hasn't been added to that as well. Uh, also, another thing I want to mention is um, there's two types of Jewish people. There's Ashkenazis and there's Sephardic Jews. And um, there's a difference in the way that they, uh, kind, of, um, they kind of preserve their, their scrolls or, or contain their, their scrolls. This one right in the middle here, this is, this is from a Sephardic Jewish um, um, sect, which you can see that 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 one is from Iraq, and so you can you can kind of see the the sterling silver and the, the Iraqi look of that. Okay, the Ashkenazis they build these beautiful uh, cloth coverings that they put over their uh, their scrolls and and they they adorn them and put letters on them and praise to God and and just glorify God with with what they say on there and. They cherish um, this scripture like you wouldn't believe. If you've ever been to a, to a synagogue, um, that Torah, man, that is, that is a precious, precious uh, thing to them. And so, As I told you, they, when they get through writing a scroll, they count the letters. And after that, scribe counts the letters and finds the exact right number. He doesn't stop there. He gives it to a friend who's also a scribe, and he counts the letters. And when he's through, he hands it to a third scribe who counts the letters. All my life, I thought scribe meant writer of scrolls. It doesn't. What it means is counter of letters. And that's what they do is they count the letters. It's got to be an exact number or they can't be kosher. When they write, they do it even today as they've done it in thousands of years. They take a quill pen, in this case a turkey feather, and they sharpen the end of the feather and then they dip it in the ink that they make and they write. Incredibly difficult process. To make this ink, they mix this stuff right here, which is called gum arabic. It's a sap that flows from a gum tree, and in this case, an acacia tree. You remember acacia wood in, in Israel. It's what they used to make all the elements in the temple out of. And then they collect these things. These are called gall nuts. A gall nut is formed when a gall wasp stings a leaf of a tree, plants an egg, the tree will build this barrier around that little egg to protect the tree. But it will also protect the little wasp that's inside 
Because eventually that little wasp, he will grow up, he will mature, and then he will bore out of here. On most of these, you can find little boreholes where they flew away. They're tiny, tiny little insects. Once they do fly away, this nut will fall from the tree. But that birthing process for that little wasp leaves enough tannic acid inside here that you take this gallnut, you pulverize it into a powder, you take the gum arabic, pulverize it into a powder, and you add a little water and you boil it. And it makes the ink that they use to write all of these with. How they figured that out, how they decided to be able to do that, no one knows. But that's what they do, even today. From the very first ones that were written, from Mount Sinai on down, they used this gallnut process. And if you try it, you'll find it an incredibly difficult task. Not me, of course, but many of you in here who are old were made to use fountain pens in school. You had a little ink well, much like this right here. You had a little feather like this right here. And you dipped in your ink and you wrote your papers. Ooh, it's difficult. Very, very messy. Very, very difficult to control and to do. But if you look at this, what you will find is a precursor to our modern-day calligraphy that we use because they take the quill pen and as they write, they swivel it, they turn it, and it gives it broad marks, narrow marks, and that's what they do. You'll look at all of these. They'll almost all look identical because it's just the same kind of writing. Um, But the sides are justified meaning all the letters start on one side, go to the other side, and end on the other side. They go from side mark to side mark, always. Sometimes a small letter finishing at the end has to be elongated in order to finish it that way. But that's all right because it's done that way in every scroll at that point. They're unbelievable. I want to share with you, Ruth and uh, Jeanette, y'all come on up here. (laughs) I'm going to show them Esther. This is the scroll or the book of Esther. One of the rules for writing a scroll is that all the letters have to be the same size. Well... When you look at this scroll, you'll show, you'll discover that Jewish people probably were Texans first because there's a, uh, an ex- exception to every rule that they have. All the letters have to be the same size. Here's one of the first exceptions. Notice this column. Come on to oscillate a bit so that they can see you. Okay, stop right there, Ruth and Jeanette. You come on around here so everybody can see that. See that one column? All these letters are like 25 times the size of the letters that surround them. And you have to ask, why is that the case? Well, you remember the story of Esther. The king had a party in the, in the kingdom. He invited all the men. And they came. 
And all the men drink a little bit too much. And all the men get a little bit tipsy. And then the king says to his armor bearer, I want you to go to the queen and ask her to put her crown on and come and show her beauty. Now, if you read that in your Bible, that's what you'll read. Tell the queen to put her crown on and come and show her beauty. And when she gets there, uh, she basically tells the king, I am not going to do it. Have you ever wondered why? Well, if you read the story in Hebrew, there's some indication in it that you don't get in the English language. Because in Hebrew, basically the king said this, tell the queen to put her crown on only and come and show her beauty. So guess what he's asking her to do? To parade through the kingdom of men without any clothes on. And the queen says, I am not going to do that. And so he says, okay, well then you're not the queen anymore. I'll get another one. And so she's banned from the area. And they have a contest to see who's the fairest of them all. And guess what? Who was the fairest? Yes, Esther. And she was then chosen to be the new queen, even without realizing she was a little Jewish girl, a little Hebrew girl, I guess I should say. Okay, y'all can put it back. Still, I haven't told you why those letters are so large. Because you see, at that point, the king says, uh... I don't know what we're going to do with Haman. Because you see, Haman wanted to hang all of the Jews of the land. He wanted to get rid of them all. And Esther is in the right place at the right time and says, Please don't let him harm my people. And the king's like, Oh my, then what are we going to do with him? And she says, Well... They wanted to hang my people, so why don't we just hang? He said, I got an idea. Let's hang him. Let's get rid of Haman and his family. And so they decided to hang Haman and his ten sons. That large column is 11 lines long. It is the name of Haman and his ten sons. And they hanged them all and got rid of them. And that ended the Jewish trouble to, to annihilate all of them. Why did they write them so large? To remind you and me, don't mess with God's people. Or, mothers, don't name your kids these names. Could have been. I don't know. So, you know, when we when we take these, you, you know, you realize all of our translations. Everybody in here, there's probably I don't know, ten or twelve different translations that that you guys carry in your Bible. You know, the NIV, the the New King James, the King James. You know, that you can go on and on. But all of these translations come from this original Hebrew, and so we we get questions about that a lot, and so. As, as this stuff is translated, there's a lot that's lost in there, a lot of meaning that's lost in there, uh, just, just like the story that, that Charles told with these names right here. 
Well, there's another one. If you got your Bibles, I want you to turn, turn to Psalms 119. Um, you've already been there once this morning, as the pastor referred to that earlier, Psalms 119. And when you get there, I want somebody to tell me what it says right off the bat, right at the beginning. Somebody tell me. There's a word probably there. So I heard somebody say it. Aleph? Blessed. Does anybody see a word that says Aleph? Okay, Aleph. Okay, that is, that is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And if you go eight verses down, do you see another word? Anybody tell me what that word is? Bet. Okay, that's the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you continue to go on, you will see the entire 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, every eight verses, okay? And so what you're seeing here is King David did an acrostic of the Hebrew alphabet, and with our English translation, they had to just put it at the top of the, the, the eight verses. So um, if you go to the original Hebrew and we have, we have Psalms right here, and it's turned to Psalms 119. And as you guys get up and come look at these later, I'll show you that right here in Psalms 119, verse 1, it starts off, the first line starts off with an olive. The second verse starts off with an olive. The third verse starts off with an olive. For eight verses, it all starts with an olive. Okay? But that couldn't be translated in the English language. And so they just had to put the word up there. If you go to the second set of the eight verses, you'll see bait. And if you look right here, the second eight verses all start with that Hebrew letter, the bait. And so I think that's one of the coolest things that I get to, to tell about the scrolls is, is how we don't see that in our translation. I think that's one of the coolest things. These three books are always placed right here. You've got Job, Proverbs, and Psalms. They're always right here so Stacy and I can find them. Don't want to lose them right here. But they're here for another reason. Because you see, in Hebrew history, these are known, these three books are known as the books of truth. I was confused once when I learned that, thinking I thought it was all truth. It is. But these three are known as the books of truth. Job, Proverbs, and Psalms. Here's the reason they're known as the books of truth. Job is pronounced Yob in Hebrew. And it begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, an Aleph. The next book is Proverbs. It's pronounced Mishli in Hebrew. And it begins with the Hebrew letter Mem which is the very middle letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then Psalms. Psalms is pronounced Tehillim. It, it begins with the Hebrew letter Tav, which is the very last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So you've got Aleph, Mem, Tav. You've got from the very first letter of the Hebrew alphabet through the middle and all the way to the end, which is the very last letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And you take those three letters... Aleph, Mem, Tav, and you put them together and you form another Hebrew word. That word is emet. You know what that means in Hebrew? Truth. 
And so these are always known as the books of truth. Okay. So um, Jeanette and I have been with the Scroll Project about three years, and, and so we have drugged these things all over the place. And um, one of my favorite memories about um, one of the shows we went on was we, we took these up into Illinois, and we did about 12 or 13 shows up in Illinois. But uh, one of the evenings we were there, we took these things through downtown Chicago. <laughs> Guys, I just, I mean, there was just chills running up my back because I knew I was, I, was, I was driving. I'm the driver. And so we're going through downtown Chicago, and I'm just thinking, I am, I am hauling the Word of God through downtown Chicago. What, what a place that needs the Word of God. And so I, I just I love telling that story. Um, but the, the, these, these things are so powerful. I mean, the Word of God is so powerful. Sometimes we go to shows and, and you'll just see people that are so moved by what they're seeing that they just, they just, they just cry because this, this, is, this is amazing what you're seeing here. I'm going to share with you about a talit, and then I'm going to have Stacy share with you about um, the Haftorah, and then we're going to be done. And when we are done, you can go across the back and come start down there and walk across here. You may take all the pictures that you like. Please do not touch any of the scrolls. My team will be back behind here to answer any questions you might have as best that we can. We're not afraid to say, I don't know. But I'd like to do something I'd... Most people do in situations like this at the beginning of their conversation. I'm going to do it almost here at the end. I'm going to introduce my team to you. Today, of course, we've already met Stacy. Uh, his wife is Jeanette. Jeanette is his wife and also works at the foundation in the area of our Jewish emphasis. Uh, we have a, a really neat program for churches about that. And then my wife, Ruth, is sitting right there. And then my grandson, uh, my favorite grandson. <laughs> the only one I got. is Seth, and he's sitting right next to his grandmother down there. And then uh, Wayne is sitting on the second row back over on, on the back side. Wayne's just a personal friend. has been in our life for, I don't know, 20, 30 years or something like that. He's going on 80, I think. Uh, but he lives up in Wichita Falls, Texas, and runs a gymnasium up there. And then... Uh, you heard us talk about uh, Walter and Marianne Mize. And Walter passed away in 2008 with a sudden massive heart attack and left his widow, Marianne, uh, to help run this whole thing. Well, Marianne is very passionate about these scrolls. She goes with us everywhere we go. And that's Marianne right there. Marianne, stand. Yeah, that's Marianne. It's unique to have the boss on the trip with you. Uh, we can just eat all the junk food we want. She never says a word. This is a talit, or in our language, a prayer shawl. Nobody knows when these were invented or when they came about, but you'll notice they're very unique because it's just a shawl, uh, but it also has fringes on the four corners of this garment. Why? Because the Bible tells the rabbis to put fringes on the four corners of their garment. And so they do. Now, whether you and I need to do that or not, we don't 
worry about that. We're not Jewish. Yet, uh, for some reason, God told Hebrew rabbis to put these on the four corners of their garment, and they do. These fringes are made up of five knots and eight strands. If you add that together, you get uh, eight and five is 13. Now, one of the things that Stacy told you earlier, that there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. 22. We have 26. What's missing? Vowels. In the Hebrew language, there are no vowels. Makes it very difficult to pronounce the words. For instance, think about your own first name. Just think about it. Now remove the vowels. Now pronounce it. Becomes a little more difficult, doesn't it? A little more difficult on how to pronounce it. Every letter has a numerical value because there are no numbers in Hebrew. Every letter has a number. Every word has a numerical value. The numerical value for these fringes, they're known as zitzit. And the numerical value is 600 plus the number of knots and strands. It makes 613. Is that relevant? Well, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. Aren't you glad we're New Testament Christians? <laughs> yeah, there's only 2,000 there. Take your pick. So, um, as, they, as they go through life, they're always fidgeting. The original fidget. They're fidgeting with these knots and strings, and it reminds them of God's law. And what they are commanded to follow and what they're commanded to do. All right? Pop Torah. Pop Torah. Okay. Do you guys want to come hold this up? Can y'all come hold this up? Ruth and Jeanette. I'm usually the other helper. Um, this particular scroll is, is pretty cool. Um, Marianne's son was over in Israel visiting, and he was in contact with a guy. Where you get these at is you contact an antiquity dealer in in Israel. And so um, he was over in Israel and and got in touch with an antiquity dealer, and he says, hey, I've got a scroll that you might be interested in because they had already, uh, Christian Heritage Foundation had already bought um, a lot of these and so um, this particular scroll came from Poland from World War II and the story behind it is that this was being used in a school in a little Jewish school a little elementary school and if you look at the Hebrew lettering on this particular scroll you have vowel points and so what it did was, was teach the, the, the young kids how to read and pronounce the, the lettering better because it had little vowel points. It, it you know, taught them how to say if it had a, a long A or a long O or whatever because there's, there's no vowels. But once, once they got the hang of it, you wouldn't have to have these vowel points. So, we, so they used these in the elementary schools to help them uh, learn the Hebrew language. Well, when World War II happened and the 
the Germans invaded Poland, um, the soldiers came into this school, and any any other scripture that they could find, they wanted to they wanted to destroy it. And so you can see in this particular scroll where they got their bayonets and they stabbed this thing and they probably tossed it across the room to another soldier. And this thing has, has five puncture wounds in it where these soldiers um, tried to destroy this thing. And somehow this thing survived and it made its way back to Jerusalem. And that's where um, Marianne's son... Uh, found it at the antiquity dealer. He bought it and brought it back to the United States right down the road here at Cleburne, Texas, so you guys um, could see it and witness it, and it would be in your presence today. I thought that's a pretty cool pretty cool deal. But um, anyway, the, the Haftorah is actually uh, the Torah and all these writings kind of put together. So if if they're original scriptures and in, in some of these others were destroyed. They had one book that had all of this stuff in it, and they also used it to teach their kids. And so that's the story on the Hot Torah. Wow. Well, Charles and crew, thank you so much for for sharing this with us, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy the opportunity you'll have in just a moment to uh, to look at these and to ask questions and see if you can stump the panel. Um, with Charles, it probably won't be too difficult. The other ones, um, <laughs> the other ones, it may uh, they may know. No, actually, Charles is a wealth of, of knowledge, and we are um, we are stronger churches in Johnson County, and the Christian Heritage Foundation is blessed because of Charles's ministry. Um, for his friendship to a lot of pastors, for his lunch meals for those guys that are interested in lunch, and then just one of the most incredible things is just the the generosity that they have, not only helping churches with benevolence, but also with um, outreach ministries and providing funding and helping churches do things that they wouldn't be able to do um, without some financial assistance. So we are we're truly blessed, and it's amazing that we have a foundation like that in our county, and it's amazing that we have a collection of of scrolls like this um, in our county as well. So thank you guys. Um, we're going to sing a song in, in just a minute um, to close out our service. But let me just say this while our musicians are, are coming forward. You know, when we, we think about God's word, I'm always reminded of John's words in John chapter 1 in his gospel. You know, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God in the beginning. And But the most incredible thing is John writes, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that we have not only the gift of God's word on a printed page, but we have the gift of God's living word, his son, Jesus. And it's that name that's above every name that that John tells us that anyone who believed on him, God gave the right to become children of God. And every page, every story, whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, points to this person, Jesus, the one who loves us, the one who's a friend that's closer than a brother, the one who's King of kings and Lord of lords. And so don't ever forget when you open up the pages of your Bible that it's much more than some cool stories or some blessing verses to encourage you when you're down, but it's a story that whispers God's love to us from beginning to end that tells us the story 
of Jesus and the story of salvation, that through that simple trust and faith in him that we can be called children of God. So I just want to invite you to join me um, in standing together. We're going to sing um, a song. And after we finish singing together, um, you're welcome to move free about the sanctuary. And Charles and his group will be up front here to answer questions. And please take time to investigate these scrolls and, and see what a blessing they are. So let's sing together. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus, trust to take him at his word, trust to rest upon his promise, trust to Explore these. I was just thinking, well, actually, my wife was suggesting if we start here and move this way, it might keep everybody from running into each other. And you'll also start. Um, so start here on this side and work your way. And the Lord bless you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord together. Thanks again, Charles, and your group for, for being here with us. And um, the Lord bless you. Okay.